Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Welcome, Holy Spirit. That's our subject, as you know. We've done a couple of weeks on the teaching around the Holy Spirit, and then last week Maureen led us so powerfully in life in the Spirit, and um, I'm, we're, we're trying to do two weeks in each now. Listen, I had to speak up in Fermanagh last week, which was at 11, and so I left here 25 past um, nine and put live stream on in the car. I didn't watch it now, just so you know, but um, I did listen and got the whole service, and then listened to it yesterday again. What a powerful teaching, if you haven't heard it, where she spoke about the secret, the seal, the struggle, the surrender, and the sharing of life in the Spirit. Very, very powerful. And what we've been doing to do, trying to do at the moment is try to keep you, um, try to keep you before you the idea that the church was designed to function in a moment of time like this. Um, and that's why we're doing this. The economy is failing. Um, politics are failing. Leaders are failing. There's wars and rumors of wars, and um, we're reminded in Scripture that when, then, when these things begin to happen, look up, for your redemption draws near. The kingdom of God isn't failing, by the way. Yes, it's not failing. It's the economies of heaven aren't bankrupt. They aren't struggling. The economies of heaven are as strong and powerful as they ever were. And so it's important to understand we don't talk enough sometimes about end times, and Jesus is coming back. That's the whole ethos of Scripture where he promised he would return, and he's going to return, and he's going to return soon. And uh, the old brethren preachers used to say, I remember one doing this um, whenever I was a boy, asking people if they were really being honest, did they feel that the Lord could come back today? And we all live our lives in such a way that we are not expecting the Lord to come back today. And then they would say this, in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. That's what the Scripture says. In such an hour as you think not. And so he has molded us and made us, I believe, for such a time as this. And for us to become victorious in this time and in this season of our lives, we must understand the triune God. That's really, really important. And that's why we wanted to pull on one of the members of the Godhead. We wanted to pull on one of the members of the Trinity because we reckon he's the one that we know least about. I said to you a few weeks ago that we have earthing points for fathers and sons. So when we talk about the father and we talk about the son, we have earthing points to that. But we don't have an earthing point for the Holy Spirit. And so some people um, just go down or assume uh, down the line that it's just some kind of a magic cloud or a, 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 an energy or a wind or a fire or something like that, a feeling. But the Holy Spirit is a person, Lenny, in Life Group this week said a couple of times that the Holy Spirit is God. And that's true. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. He's not just, uh, I grew up, I told you this with the idea that it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. And that's not true because the Holy Scriptures teach you about all three. And so the Holy Spirit's not just tongues or an energy, as I say. Uh, that's some of the things that he does and some of the ways that he represents himself. But he's a person and he's God. And uh, we need to know him fully 
because he is the one who actually presents to us Jesus that we've been singing about today. And we must know this aspect of God. We need to, if the Holy Spirit is God, then we need to know this aspect of God better. I introduced him a few weeks ago as the agent of creation. We looked at him right at the very first pages of the Bible, um, hovering over the chaos of, of, of emptiness and over the deep. We saw him as the illuminator of the gospel. We saw how um, bringing people to faith in Christ, we saw him introduced in Acts 2, coming and pouring out upon all flesh and people, 3,000 people at that particular point coming to know Jesus. So every one of you in here um, who are born again, you're not born again or you're not saved just because you grew up in a Christian family, which might be wonderful. You're saved because the Holy Spirit illuminated to you the power of Jesus Christ and what life in the Spirit would really like. And then we looked a little bit at him as the empowering nature of God, and he reveals our sin to us, introduces Jesus to us, and that's why he came, not to reveal himself, but to reveal Jesus. He's always pointing to Jesus. His answer to every question is Jesus. He's wild about Jesus, and that's why if we just get caught up talking about nothing else other than the Holy Spirit, it's concerning because the Holy Spirit never came to say, look at me he always came and said look to Jesus and so that's really important to understand so as we learn to live in the spirit this is what I'm trying to say as we learn to live in the spirit it needs to look like something or probably better it needs to look like someone it needs to look like Jesus and so we begin to as we walk in the spirit the spirit begins to teach us how to live as Jesus lived. And so the movement of the Spirit in our lives should result in forming the character of Christ in us. That's what this is all about. And so we need that depth of experience out of which we can proclaim Jesus to the world. Jesus was not just a time manifestation, by the way. It wasn't just that he lived on earth 33 years. He was an eternal manifestation. It's the same yesterday and today and forever. So he wasn't just a time manifestation. If we're just looking at his life, he was an eternal manifestation. And so it's important that we understand that. So when it comes to life, we need to do things well. Somebody put it like this. We need to paint like Rembrandt, write like Shakespeare, sing like Bono, play the violin like Paganini, and live like Jesus. So we've got to do all of those things, all right? And there's one command, I think, in the New Testament that if we could get fully we could maybe move into this grace a lot more. And this is the little verse, all right? Do not quench the Spirit. Paul is saying, please, people, don't get in the way of the Spirit's work in your life. Don't get in the way. Paul talks a lot about this. He talks about walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. All of these, this language is really important. Whenever we do grow, um, Dave does a great job with grow, and um, there's three modules. There's Grow Down, which is um, when people get saved, showing them basically uh, what, what, they've, what they've just got into, the basic principles of Christian life. And then, of course, there's Grow Up, and that's your identity. Now that you know what this is all about, who, who, let's, let's talk about who you are in Christ. And then the third module is grow out. Now that you know what you've got into, now you know who you are in Christ, what do you do with it? How do you take that out? And the first talk um, in grow out is one of my favorite talks, and it's about life in the spirit. 
And one of the passages we read is Ephesians 4. And I'd love if you've got uh, your Bible with you, I hope you have, or if you've got it on your phone, I'd love you to look this up because I'd love you to see it, all right? It's in Ephesians 4, and I'd love you just to run your eye down the chapter with me. Ephesians 4, if you want to look it up, I'm reading it in the NIV. And I'm reading from 17, basically picking out some verses right through to the end, Ephesians 4. And this is what I'd love you to notice in this. I'd love you to notice the life of activity because this is what a life in the Spirit looks like. It's, it's proactive. It's not reactive. We're not reacting to something. We're, it's, what, what the Spirit of God is doing is calling us into a life of productivity where we are proactive, where we begin to choose something. So you'll see this as we look through this language, all right? Verse 17 of Ephesians 4 says, So I tell you, and insisted it in the Lord. See the strength of that language? I insisted it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So Paul's saying there's a different way to live now. Now that you're in Christ, there's a different way to live. You don't need to live like the Gentiles do. And he talks about um, how they're full of greed and they've got impurity and all of that. And then he goes to 22, verse 22, and he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Do you see the activity of the language? Something that you have to do. And then at verse 24, he says, and put on the new self. Something you have got to do. Therefore, verse 25, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of the one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. See all the activity of the language here? Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31, get rid of all bitter rage, bitterness, rage, and anger. Verse 1 of chapter 5, follow God's example. Walk in the way of love. Verse 3, but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. On and on we could go. But all I wanted to show you was the activity of that language there. There are active verbs like put on or dress yourself, something you have to do. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Like verses like this in Isaiah 52, awake, awake, and clothe yourself with strength. Put on, you see the language, put on. Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit. And Jesus modeled what it looked like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is actually an invitation and a command. I told you this story before, but up getting Daniel's haircut, uh, maybe last year one time, there was two girls, um, hairdressers, and they were cutting hairs of two people, and one, said, one hairdresser said to the other hairdresser, you're coming to my hand aren't you? That's what happens in Lurgan. That, that was more than an invitation. You're coming to my hand aren't you? It was an invitation and a command. And so being filled with the Spirit is both. It's an invitation and it's a command, all right? And here's what happens. He says this in Ephesians 5. He says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled. And the actual interpretation of that, be you filled, something you need to do with the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? He's saying, don't be under the influence of this, but be under the influence of this instead. All right, don't let this shape your life. 
Let this shape your life. Make some good choices around this, he's saying. So because Jesus modeled this out, he then becomes our rule to live by, and we just can't use any old model. We need to use him as the measuring stick. Important that we land that first. And there's so much of the kingdom available to those that pursue. And Paul exhorts us throughout the scripture, like in 1 Corinthians 14, where he talks about pursuing love and earnestly desiring spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And it's really important to understand, and when we go in to grow out, what we're saying is, now it's, now it's no longer, it's no longer um, just the, the drip's not up anymore. We're taking the drip down now. All right, now it's self-feed. It's time to take this out. It's time to understand how to actually play your part in the sanctifying of your body, all right? And this is really, really important. Now, we know verses like this, that um, John 10, 10, we quote it all the time, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and might have it to the full. The authorized uses the word abundant life. Now, we know that um, sometimes we read verses like this, we read these verses right throughout the New Testament, and we struggle hard to understand how to live that life of fullness. Now, the truth is that Jesus actually came to destroy the works of the enemy, and the Greek word for that is apollumi. You see how I've pronounced it there? It means to loose. So he comes to loose, to cut off, to break the bands of the enemy, to break the bands of sin, and to allow you to walk and live and freedom. And we know that where death and destruction reveal themselves, we see the fingerprints of darkness and the devil all over that. And there's no doubt that the Scriptures promise us that we can live a life that is so like the life of Jesus. Scripture promises that through, through and through again. But the problem is, we want to do what Jesus did, but we don't want to live the life he lived. And the two are inseparable. You can't do what Jesus did and not live the life he lived. They're not, you can't separate those two. And so the WWJD bracelet, which I have one on and I love, reminds us really what Jesus did on the spot. So what would Jesus do right at this moment? But what they fail to do is show us what Jesus did off the spot. Because Jesus lived a life in such proximity with his father that when he was on the spot, then we realized that he could do what was right. And so we need to not just think of what Jesus would do on the spot, but how did Jesus live his life? How did he live off the spot? Relationship with the Father. And so what happens with scriptures like this, instead of them encouraging us, sometimes actually they begin to frustrate us. And actually they begin to make us a little bit depressed or discouraged. And so what we do is when we feel that we're not living this life, this, this life that's promised, we tend to struggle. And so what we do is we try harder. That's our first move. We try harder. So you, you read about somebody who gets up at half four to read their Bible. And you set your alarm for half four. The, the truth is nobody wants to be around you at half four, not even Jesus. <laughs> You're just in bad form. And so what happens is, what happens is you, you, you try it and you, you, you do it for three days and then you miss one and then you do another two days and then you miss a week and you just think, that's not working. And then you just get deeper into the guilt cycle and you realize that trying harder elbow grace isn't actually what makes you walk and live a life in the spirit. And then what happens is some people just pretend it doesn't exist. Some people just say hallelujah and praise the Lord all the time. And it doesn't really matter what's going on in the room. It doesn't really matter because they just, they just live as fake it do you make it. 
Some people live in that bubble. Some people rededicate due to emotions. So every time you call a prayer line, they'll come up and they'll rededicate because last week was just a disaster and we'll rededicate again and maybe this week will be better. Then some people, when they don't like it, just change church. And we'll go somewhere where the message is easier. And then the problem is some people actually just give up. Some people just think it's too hard and they just give up. But what, what if... What if Jesus was right when he said, out of your innermost being could flow rivers of living water? What if Jesus was right that you could live this life that was full and abundant? What, what our, our job is to live as believers is to live with a culture of heaven and do what Jesus did. And this is counterculture to the world. It's counterculture, at least it should be. And we get to represent the Father. We need to always remember that Jesus was sent by the Father to represent the Father. That's why he said this little verse, the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then the Holy Spirit presents to us Jesus. Jesus expresses to us the Father. If you've seen me, he says to Philip, you've seen the Father, and we get the Godhead. So it's not getting little bits of one and little bits of the other, but we get the full picture. We begin to understand that Jesus Christ taught that his true followers could easily be distinguished from others by observable, spirit-directed good change taking place in their lives. And so Paul uses similar language right throughout the New Testament when he, when he writes verses like this, and he says, um, Jesus talked about that. I, I, I need to mention that little verse because that's really important. Jesus said, change is observable. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad fruit cannot bear, or bad tree cannot bear good fruit. By their fruit, you will recognize. And that was on the Sermon on the Mount. And then Paul picks this up in this uh, verse in Romans 12. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, something that you have to do. And Paul went on to use the same metaphorical language um, this image just as Christ did and he begins in Galatians 5 where we want to get to now and talk about the fruit of the Spirit in comparison with the lust of the flesh. And um, if Jesus was right and he said, by their fruits you will recognize them, the teaching of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount gives us this either or language it's, and some people don't like that. Some people, we live in a world that doesn't like black and white or either or type of language, all right? It's too definite. It's not flexible enough. And such stark contrasts as good and evil and right and wrong and life and death and light and darkness and on and on we could go. And those who delight, dislike this sort of inflexibility try to find a middle ground. They try to find somewhere where they can live between the stark contrasts. And I think that's where the Western church is at the moment. I think they try to live in middle ground, middle earth, they try to live between, they try to pick and choose between. So they're, they're right's too right and wrong's too wrong. And so they pick this middle ground and they try to live just the best they can. Um, it reminds me years ago when Philly was a wee boy, he spied this, um, this car um, that was remote control uh, for Christmas. And um, we decided we would get him this car. And... Uh, we bought the car, got it headed away, you know the way you do, and um, I think we're all safe in here, are we? And, um, and, and we, we uh, presented it to him on Christmas morning. 
And he unpacked it, and when the car came out of the box, he said, oh, this is amazing. This is the car I wanted. Look at the car. And he picks the remote up, and he gets the remote going, and he pushed the button. Nothing happened. And then we realized, uh-oh, we've no batteries. And back then on Christmas Day, there was no shops open. Now there's shops open, and you could get batteries. But there was, we hadn't thought about batteries. There was no batteries in the remote, and there was no batteries in the car. So all day Christmas Day, what we had to do was we had to make the car move by our own means. There was no power. So we were going zoom, zoom, zoom all day until after Christmas when we get batteries. But it wasn't the same. When you're just doing it yourself, it's not the same as when the power is there and you can do this. Do you get my meaning? Some of us in, in, in our Christian worlds we're so busy trying to live our Christian lives by our own power, and we're just tired. And this, we, just, we need to get the batteries of the Holy Spirit into our life. We need to understand what happens um, whenever we get into this idea of understanding the Word of God. The Word of God is, I learned as a boy that the Bible is a book of established laws and divine principles that don't change. I love, this is one of my many favorite verses, but I love it. Your Word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It's, an, it's unmovable. And so now as then, Jesus offers uncompromising choices in all or nothing situations, no middle ground. And this is not the easiest sermon to hear all right, because there's work to do. This is going to take work on your part. It's going to change an altering of your mind. He also offers help to those who seek him. He says he, he, he who began this good work in us will see it through. So he actually offers help for us. That's Philippians 1. So we need to seek guidance through these situations. So Paul lists these first lists, and he calls them the lusts of the flesh. And he names 15 things. And if you wanted to characterize them, what you can do is the first five, they call them actually the filthy five. And the first three are to do with um, sexual nature, they're sexual in nature, and then the two religious ones. But then Paul didn't stop there. He kept going with 10 others, what actually he referred to as socially acceptable sins in the Galatian church. So when he went through the first five, if he had stopped there, the Pharisees, who were actually really good people, very religious people, very good people, um, they just got it wrong. They would, have, they would have shook their head at these first five. They would have thought nobody in their right mind who, who is in a synagogue would even think of these first five, these first three sexual sins and these two religious sins. But then Paul keeps going and they weren't ready to hear the rest of the list. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, faction, envy and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Paul grouped them together from the same source. And, um, and, and this was a shock to this church in Galatia. Absolute shock. Matthew Henry, who's one of the old theologians and commentators, writes this. Let me read it to you. It's pretty strong stuff. He says, These are sins which will undoubtedly shut men out of heaven. The world of spirits can never be comfortable to those who plunge themselves in the filth of the flesh. Nor will the righteous and holy God ever admit such into his favor and presence unless they first be washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Pretty strong, isn't it? He calls this second list then 
the fruit of the Spirit. And likewise, as he does with the first bunch, the first 15, he doesn't expect us to rifle through them and pick out what we like and think, well, I'm okay with that, but I'm not okay with that. And I think I could do that, but I don't think I could do that. Likewise, with these one, he, he wants us with the first to reject the entire list. And so with this, he wants us to accept the whole list. And habitual worldly thinking can look at both of the lists and say, well, not all apply to me. But what he did in the second list, he did an interesting thing. In the first, he called them the lusts of the flesh, plural, all right? And this, he called it the fruit of the Spirit, singular. And he, he based the nine fruit of the Spirit around one big thing called godliness. And he says, when there's godliness in your life, you can't pick and choose any of these nine things. Because godliness, these are the nine attributes of godliness in the Christian's life. And I love this, just as in farming and in gardening, we uh, must cooperate with the nature if there's going to be um, any kind of crop. We planted potatoes this year, and they've just flowered, and, the, and it's, it's lovely to see. I was out watering them last night. This is lovely. This is like your late life crisis, um, and it's, it is fun. It is so fun. We planted some carrots yesterday, and some, uh, well, Lorraine planted some carrots yesterday. I did plant the potatoes. They're mine. Um, she planted some carrots yesterday. So, um, but, so we have to cooperate with the laws of nature. So we must cooperate with the way God does things. If the culture of our souls is going to bear the desired fruit, we need, to, we need to work with the culture of heaven. God does not force anything upon his people, but cooperate. When we cooperate with the way that the Lord does things, we will be spiritually effective and fulfilled. So the fruit of the Spirit, listen to this. This is really important. Note this, please. The fruit of the Spirit is not something that God does in you. The gifts of the Spirit are something that God gives you. The gifts of the Spirit. And gifts are never a sign of maturity. Like you can give a gift to a one-year-old, and they're, they're probably going to throw it aside and play with the box. Now, you're going to expect a different attitude from a 15 or a 16-year-old, aren't you? They're going to throw their arms around you, hopefully, and say, thank you for the gift. So gifts are never a sign of maturity. The fruit are a sign of maturity. And it's really important that the fruit is not God-given. God doesn't, this is not something that just falls on you like, like magic dust. This is something that God is expecting us as believers to work in, out in our lives, that we live lives of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, and of self-control. When young men or older men or women come to me pastorally and say, I'm struggling sexually, I'm struggling with pornography, would you pray with me? And I say, of course I pray. What would you like me to pray? Would you like me to pray that you never look at a woman again with any sexual feelings? And if they're married, they go, oh, no, please don't do that. Well, I said, well, what do you want me to pray for? What about if we pray for self-control? Because it's one of the fruit of the Spirit, and our sexual nature is something that God's given us. And he's given us to control it properly and in the right areas and towards the right person when we're in a marriage covenant. And so... It's understanding these things as they begin to work in our lives. And um, I, I love this. I, I, I love how the Bible talks about this. He talks about keeping in step. Dave, can I borrow you for a minute? Can you come up a wee tick? We didn't preempt this, but Dave's not, hasn't got new trousers either. He can do that. <laughs> See, if, if, if you're to walk in the spirit, right? 
just come beside me. Can you come beside me like we're good friends? Now, can you, can, can you follow my step? Can you follow my step? Now, let me try. See, now, do, you, do you see where he's looking? He's watching my step. He's not, he's not looking to the world. He's not looking at the steps of anybody else because he, he's so concentrating on my step. That's okay. Thank you. Give him a round of applause. He's so concentrating on my step that he's not, he's not looking at anybody else's step. And here's the thing. In Western civilization, we live, we live with this comparative mindset. And we look all around what he's got and what she's got, and we're missing the step of the Spirit. And there's something about keeping in step. Strangely, many Christians persist in believing that the fruit of the Spirit is something which God produces in them, rather than accepting that the fruit of the Spirit is a product of their devotion to Christ. And if you're devoted to Christ, you live a spiritual life. And as I say, these are never to be mistaken for the gifts. Love, joy, peace, so on, are not God-given things. And, and here's, just to close it out, and then we're going to pray. Um, I, I wanted to give you four things in a minute or two, but this is what Dave was showing us here. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk, and you're watching the step. You're watching, how does Jesus do this? What did Jesus do off the spot? as well as on the spot. How did Jesus live his life with the Father? And so if we're going to learn how Jesus lived, there's a little phrase that I, preachers invent things sometimes. And many years ago, I invented this little phrase that I claim over my life. And, and um, the, the thing about it is that our job is not actually to produce um, fruit. Our job is to bear fruit. All right, the tree, if you see an apple on a tree, you know that the apple, you can tell it's an apple tree because <laughs> the apple is the outward expression of the inward nature of the tree. And the branch is just there to bear the fruit. The branch doesn't produce the fruit. It just, in, in, in season, doesn't run around the tree when, when, it's, when it's out of season and think, well, where's all the fruit at the minute? I'll go somewhere else where I, where I can maybe get a bit of fruit going here in my life. It's just there. It's available. And you need to live the branch life. And the idea is many Christians try to produce the fruit instead of just bear the fruit. And this is so, so important. And the little phrase that I came on years ago over my own life was this little phrase, dependent discipline. My discipline is dependent on another and it's dependent on me. And so dependent, when I say dependent, I... I, I, I as I say, sanctification is a matter of trusting God to do the work in us, but we have a part, which means God can sanctify us. And, and so we have this job to do. We have this job where we depend on God. We depend on God to produce fruit in our lives, and we just leave ourselves. We live that branch life saying, God, I am going to bear the fruit in season whenever. So, so the idea of, um, I think it's, uh, his name has left me. Orange County, it'll come in a minute. But it's him that talked about, um, in, in the surfing analogy, you can surf the waves, you just can't make a wave. You've got to wait for it coming. And so you've got to wait for the wave coming. You've got to wait for the season of fruit to, to, to bear in your life. The second thing about discipline is that what happens in discipline, we need to sum up, we have a part to do. We have some stuff that we need to do. We need to apply this. So let me give you four points really quickly, four points just of how I think 
um, we, can, we can play our part. You've got to spend time in the Word of God. This book is a hymn book. It's all about him. And you've got to get a daily rhythm. Back to our daily rhythms. We spent all of January talking about daily rhythms, about time in prayer, time in the Word, time in, in mission, time in rest, and understanding all of those things. But I love this verse. It says, let the Word of God dwell in you. That word dwell in the Greek means be at home. Let it live in you. Let it come and live in you. And so as we begin to spend time in the word daily, something happens. It takes up residence. It takes up home in our lives. And this is more than just doing a little bit of Bible reading. This is a regular, consistent time in the word of God. And I go as far as to say, if you're not doing that, it's rule number one that you're breaking. Second thing that you need to do, you need to confess your sins when they're revealed in the word of God. Um, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So come, come unto God with a clean heart, confessing our sin. I bowed my head this morning with, with the emblems in my hand, and before I took them, I did a little self-analysis. And I had to confess some stuff, confess some motives in my heart, some attitudes going on in my heart at the moment. We all have to do it, and it's important to confess our sins to the Lord and allow him to um, uh, forgive us. And then, thirdly, we must watch how we live. Jimmy's going to come up and play a little. All right, Jimmy, thanks. Um, we must watch how we live. Careful, careful how we live. The older I get, the more I've watched of, of leaders fall in the last year, I begin to realize just how careful I need to walk. I tell you this story, I've told you it often. I live at the, the, my back wall is the park wall and it's littered with glass bottles along the top. It's all glass along the top. And when I'm having my coffee in the morning, the squirrels run along that wall. I've never seen one limping yet with a cut leg. And I think to myself, that's how I need to live my life. Like that little squirrel running through the glass. And there's something about understanding how to live. And then lastly, we just need to choose to obey the word of God, all right? Uh, blessed are they who hear the word, all right? Uh, sorry to tell you that the wise man built his house upon the rock wasn't just a little song for you to sing in Sunday school. It was a biblical narrative telling you he that hears the word of God and does it will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The man who hears the word of God and does it not, is like a foolish person who builds their house on the sand. And so we must depend on hearing that word. We must depend on the spirit of God to provide power um, and give us that life to make moral choices and good choices. So we choose to tell a lie or tell the truth. We choose to forgive or harbor resentment. We choose whether or not to harbor um, uh, lustful thoughts. And here's the deal. The choices you make determines the life you live. That's the bottom line. And that maybe not what you want to hear this morning, but it's the truth. So as we worship this morning, as we close off, I, uh, the story's told of a guy who rushed into the railway station and uh, he's out of puff. And he says to the ticket man, what time does the 801 train leave? And um, the ticket guy says, it leaves at 801. And um, the guy says, well, it's 7.59 by my watch. 
and it's 7.57 by the town clock, and it's 8.03 by your clock, by the station clock. Which one do I go by? And the ticket collector says, you can go by whatever one you want. You just can't go on the 801 train because it's gone. (laughs) And um, God's time is moving hour by hour, minute by minute. Here we go. We've been in here an hour and 10 minutes. And the clock is ticking, minute by minute, hour by hour. And there's multitudes who seem to think that they can live any schedule that they choose by their own time. And then in their own time, they can turn to God whenever they think they need Him. But His time's the right time. This is why Jesus wept over Jerusalem in Luke 19, 44. And he said this, you didn't recognize the time of your visitation. You missed the train. The 801's gone. I don't want anybody in here to miss the 801. This is why we're teaching this at the moment. We're teaching this at the moment because we believe the church was born for this hour. We believe that Emmanuel Church was born for this hour, not 26 years ago which was wonderful in all the years and the valleys and mountains that we've climbed and dug our way through. But now, now for such a time as this, I'd love you just to close your eyes. You can stay seated, but I'd love you just to close your eyes. And uh, I'm not looking you to rededicate due to emotion. (laughs) I'm not looking you to try harder. I'm just looking you to acknowledge that the Spirit of God is at work in your life and you have to party with that. There is a responsibility as believers to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time to stop waiting for the goosebumps. It's time to stop waiting just for the fuzzy feeling. It's time to stop waiting just for something to fall on you, which is all wonderful when it happens. But it's time just to make some really good, strong, wise choices that says, I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm going to live this way. Don't be drunk with wine we're in his access, but be filled with the Spirit. Don't allow this to shape your life. Allow Jesus to shape your life and become a person that can live like Jesus. So God, I pray that right now over this congregation, I pray the fullness of your spirit. I pray that sealing of the spirit that Maureen spoke to us about last week so powerfully, that Lord, you would seal this word to our hearts today, that we would go out realizing that we have a massive part to play in this. And here's the deal, guys. It's beautiful. When you get into it, it's not work. It's not hard work. It's it's just because it's relational and it's beautiful and you begin to get to know him and you begin to get, and the Holy Spirit becomes your friend and, and, and Jesus becomes accessible in your life in every shape and form. And you might laugh at this, but you can pray for a parking space and boom, it happens. And it happens to me all the time, all the time. And some people say, well, do you not think he's more going on with Ukraine and Russia at the minute that he's concerned about your parking space? That's the beauty of God. He is concerned with what's going on in Ukraine and Russia, but he's also concerned about my parking space. That's, that's the cool God that he is. 
He's concerned about my kids. He's concerned about my grandkids who are, who are going through exams at the moment and trying to, trying, to, trying, to, trying to get their A grades or their B grades or whatever they're going to get to, to land themselves a good job. He's interested in that. He's interested when I fall on my knees in prayer for my grandkids that they're, they're, they don't get stressed out in school but that they'll, they'll do well and he'll honor them and he'll fill their minds with good stuff. That's the God I serve. That's why I love him so much. He's interested in that little baby that you put in the crib at night. He's interested in that little one that, that's got a sneeze and a cough. He's interested in those things. He's, yeah, he's just cool. And I just want you to get to know him. And that's our desire. So God, I pray that you'd fill each and every one in this place with your spirit afresh today. Lord, if it's flash flood and that's what's needed, come and do it. God, if it's the day-to-day grind and that's what they need, just come and do it, we pray. Lord, for the businessman, the businesswoman in here, God, would you, would you fill them with your power and with your anointing? God, for the, the nurse in here, for the school teacher, for the mom, for the guy and girl that's just retired and they're not just dead sure what purpose is at the moment. God, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit today? For the person in the room that's contemplating a big change, house move like Dave and Laura, God, would you fill them with your Spirit? Lord, would you reign over Dave's health because he scared the life out of us this week? God, would you fill them with your Spirit and with your healing power? For Paul, as he works in the school with volleyball, as he ministers into all those kids, God, would you fill him with your spirit? For Stanley, as he sells cars, God, would you, would you fill him with your spirit today? For David, as he does journalism in a world that's topsy-turvy, God, would you fill him with your spirit? Flood him today, we pray. For Lenny, that juggles all our figures and facts and presents us with detailed accounts that makes our eyes boggle sometimes. God, would you fill him with your presence and with yourself today, we pray. Lord, for everyone in this place, flash flood them, we pray, with the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.